and roll. Um, it's looking for Pastor Hank, but he'll make it in. So we're good. So we want to welcome you to Celebrate Recovery, a place where we exchange our hurts and habits and hang-ups for freedom in Christ Jesus. Celebrate Recovery offers recovery for anything that we go through because we are all fallen. And it can be addiction to substance. It can be financial. It can be emotional. It can be eating disorders. It can be depression, fear, anything that just slows down your progress and what Christ wants you to be. Tonight, it is my high honor to introduce two dear friends of mine that have been a part of this church body for many years and are leadership in leadership, but they're coming to give you a financial recovery testimony. There are pens on your tables, and um, if you don't have any paper, borrow or write on your hand because you're going to get some good points. Would you please welcome Chris and Susan Vernon? I believe Chris is coming first. Okay. All right. Thank you, Pastor Rhonda. All right. We're off to a great start here. Rousing start. I tell you what, it's great to do something uh, in my home church. I'm never here because uh, I'm on the road all the time. Uh, this is my uh, second week home this year. The first week uh, was January 1st, and this is my second week. Um, so uh, it's great to be able to be here and speak for you guys. Uh, and it's an honor. I'll tell you, it's an honor because um, we're going to talk about our financial journey. And uh, I don't know if you can go ahead with that, Austin. Austin's going to help me with the slides. I have a pretty large deck of slides here. And uh, that's because it's a story of my life. And I'm 55 years old, so it takes a lot of slides to get through my life. <laughs> uh, some of you could get through in about 10 slides. But for me, it takes a lot. Um, so this is about our financial journey, and uh, Susan's going to come up in a little bit and join me. And um, so let's start off with who I am. Who am I? Because a lot of you guys uh, know me from the person that stands right here and plays guitar every week, and you don't know what I do for a living or anything else. So my name is Chris Vernon. I'm 55 years old, and I've been married to Susan Vernon for 30 years, and we have been going to Church of the Harvest for 26 years. We have a 24-year-old daughter, Victoria, and I've been in the information technology business for 32 years, and I've been on the road as an information technology consultant for 22 of those years. So uh, for those of you that don't know, um, that's essentially computers. I work in uh, large corporations uh, like uh, Delta Airlines and those kind of places and make sure that people get bills and take in seats and stuff like that. Um, I've run my own small business as a corporation since 1995. I played guitar for 40 years, and that's the most important part of that story. <laughs> this is a synopsis of who I am, and it's the type of information I would share with you if I were to sit beside you on a plane. It's a snapshot of who I am today, but what I am today is a cumulative result of many years of events that have happened up to this point. There have been many events that have transformed me during this journey. Everyone likes reality TV because it shows the inside of other people's lives. I'm going to give you that reality show and expose many truths about my past. I hope not to bore you with a This Is My Life slideshow, but I believe each of these slides contributes to the story of who I am today and the journey I've shared with my beautiful wife, Susan. This is not about spreadsheets. It's not about numbers. It's not about budgets. This is about real lives, our lives. As I put this together, I've been very introspective, and I've, I'm going to try not to cry, but it's just... 
I, I'm, I'm crusty on the outside, but I'm soft in the center. So <laughs> as I put this together, it's been very introspective, and I've learned things about my own life that I never realized. It's a story of pain, loss, happiness, and gain. I can show through this journey. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Can you, can you actually do it for me? Uh, I'm going to show you the progress from one phase of my life to the next. Now, every step of my life has been orchestrated by the God that has provided me with wisdom when I needed it most and put me in places far beyond my own ability to achieve. A good foundation. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In 1972, my parents bought a farm in Rydell, Georgia, near Cartersville, and we moved there from Ringgold. My dad was a Greyhound bus driver but wanted to farm on the side. He was a Depression-era World War II veteran and a man of unbounded energy. I believe that having a farm was his outlet. I was 10 years old, and, he had never, and I had never known any hard work in my life. My siblings were all older than me and were married and gone from home. For the first year we lived on the farm, we didn't have running water because they couldn't hit water for a well. Each day we went to a neighbor's house to get water to drink, and uh, we had an outhouse, and we would take showers in the rain. So that's a way to grow up, huh? This was something new to me, and I was a young boy, so I just thought it was all kind of fun and interesting, right? Because we're young, and we think it's cool to bathe in the rain, I guess, when you're 10. Um, my dad immediately began giving me more and more responsibilities by the on the farm as he would be gone on the road as many as six days a week. By the time I was 12, I knew all about hard work on the farm. So 10 to 12 was a rough growing up for me. Uh, we had large gardens, orchards, cows, horses, cotton, and soybeans, all of which required a lot of attention. I knew hard work, and I knew about work ethic, which is working when you don't want to. I knew about chasing escaped cows in storms in the middle of the night, taking them water and feed in the coldest winter days, and I knew about hoeing five acres of corn in the middle of July. We went to church every week, and my parents taught me that all things come from God. My parents were frugal and were very wise in choosing how they spent money, <laughs> but I did not. As I became a teenager, I wanted things and started working jobs to get a little money. This was in addition to working on the farm. My first paying job was cleaning bathrooms at a little business within bicycle riding distance of our farm. It was a junk store that had things I wanted, so I'd work for him, and he'd let me pick something out uh, after working. This was before weed eaters were invented, and I had a job mowing cemeteries and do all of the edging with a lawnmower. You actually held the lawnmower up sideways and did it. Yeah, they, yeah they'd haul you off now if you did something like that. When I was 15 years old, I got a special permit to work at a carpet mill. In the summer, I'd work 60 hours a week in addition to the work on the farm. I often disliked the unending needs of the farm, and I didn't appreciate the benefits of the work and how they built character. But my parents knew the benefits. I didn't realize at the time, but they were providing me with every piece of foundation I needed to succeed in life, no matter what I choose to pursue. Off to military college. Prepared in all ways for a great destiny, like a bullet shot out of a gun toward a target of success. When I was in elementary school, I took some type of test, and they let me skip the 7th grade. When I was in the 11th grade, I took the SAT test and was allowed to skip the 12th grade and go to college. In 1978, when I was 16 years old, I entered a military college. It was declared major pre-med. I had some scholarship money, and I took out college loans for the remainder. At the time, it was a very strict, disciplined college, but my time on the farm and working with my dad prepared me for it. So you're going to see in this journey that every step along the way is small but it builds and builds and builds layer upon layer. 
At times, it was excruciating. We'd get up at 5 a.m. and run for miles and do push-ups until our arms felt like they would fall off. We had to have spotless rooms and clothes and follow rules and more rules and more rules and more rules. Unfortunately, this is the time of my life when things start to go a bit sideways. I was a 16-year-old living in an 18-year-old world, and I started enjoying time partying with my friends and playing music than I did studying. I did great in classes that I liked, but terrible in classes that I didn't like. I'd been a straight-A student through elementary and high school, but now the bad grades started rolling in. I just never had to study before, and I shrugged it all off as unfair professors, stupid classes, etc. Instead of rising to the occasion and studying harder, I let it begin eroding my confidence, and I just dragged along with school. This was the time when all of the chinks in my armor were exposed. I didn't know it at the time, but while I was doing great in school, the discipline, rigor, while I wasn't doing great in school, the discipline, rigor, and teamwork of the military college life was preparing me for business. At the end of my second year, I decided I did not want to pursue a military contract, so there was no need to continue at a military college. I was discouraged, but I decided what I wanted to do next. So you want to be a cowboy. After leaving military college, I went home and told my mother that I had decided I wanted to move out west and become a cowboy. My mother said one of the craziest and smartest things I think she could have ever said. She said, I think it's fine if you want to be a cowboy. All I ask is that you finish college first. What an amazing way to handle that. If she had told me not to go, not to do it, I would have wanted to do it even more. But I just looked at her and I said, okay. And I walked off. And I then prepared to go to the University of Georgia in the fall of 1980. A fool and his money are soon parted. Proverbs 21:17: he who loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Matthew 6:21: for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I took out more student loans to attend the University of Georgia while still declaring a pre-med degree. I shared places uh, with various roommates. I worked the entire time I was in college, and I played music, mostly to pay the expenses of my lifestyle that had nothing to do with going to college. I stayed broke all the time. In Proverbs 21:17, wine and oil are symbols of wealth. So we should think this verse means that God does not want us to enjoy life or have nice things. But doesn't God repeatedly say that he wants his people to be blessed abundantly? In this, word, in this verse, the word loves means to have affection for or become a friend with. I became a friend with enjoying things. And when our goal in life is to have parties and spend constantly for our immediate gratification, then we will not be rich. I believed in God and I prayed, but in my mind I had lowered him to the status of an angel and relied on him as a protector rather than for guidance. At this point, I'm racking up student loan debt, and I'm spending everything I earn. The Jonah Complex. I don't know, Pastor Ron, if you've ever heard of the Jonah Complex. This was something I learned. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. But, and Jonah 1.3, Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Tarshish was as far as possible for Jonah to travel in the opposite direction. It was 500 miles to Nineveh and 2,500 miles to Tarshish across the ocean. Now, that's wanting to go the wrong way, isn't it? As I was preparing this presentation, I discovered something about myself I'd never realized. I had the Jonah complex. There we go. It's all Jonah's fault. 
In Wikipedia, the Jonah complex is a fear of success which prevents the realization of one's potential. It's the fear of one's own greatness and evasion of one's destiny are the avoidance of exercising one's talents. I was killing time in every way I could to prevent going where I needed to go. I went to Tarshish and back a dozen times rather than going to Nineveh. For two years, I worked at a hospital emergency room in radiology, but after one horribly sad day at work, I decided I did not want to ever be in medicine. I found a job working for a wealthy lady that had a large farm outside of Athens, Georgia. I borrowed my dad's travel trailer and moved it to her farm as a place for me to live. She supplied water and electricity. I moved my horse from home to Athens because I was going to be a cowboy, remember? And I'm back to chasing escaped cows and storms in the middle of the night. So I've really progressed since my time on the farm. I was still playing music all the time, and my life resembled the country and rock songs I was playing. I was riding in rodeo events on the weekends. See, I bet you did, most of you didn't know I was in the rodeo. <laughs> Lucky I didn't break my hand. I'm still able to play guitar. I was a very busy guy that was going absolutely nowhere. How ironic to have a Jonah complex. It's pretty ironic that I had the Jonah complex, considering I was once in a shipwreck. When I was 13 years old, my brother had sold his nice home and bought a 110-foot sailboat that he lived on with his family. He had sailed it to Charleston, and we went there to visit him. We took a trip on the open ocean for a few days, and as we were coming back into Charleston in the early morning hours, we were driven up on moving sandbars that were off the coast of Folly Beach. The waves smashed out the bottom of the boat, and the contents began to spread in the water. There were two freezers full of meat, and these spilled into the ocean, and we became surrounded by sharks. I'm not making this up, people. This really happened. Our life rafts were destroyed by the waves. We sent up flares in the dawn light and made SOS calls on the radio. The Coast Guard came with a rescue helicopter and began taking us off two at a time by lowering a tiny metal basket down through the ship's rigging. Immediately after they rescued the last person from the ship, it disappeared into the waves. So my life was barely spared. That's me in the middle back there in the uh, Coast Guard office. You can't see it on the back of that ship. But the name of the boat was Destiny. God's plants. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Delight yourselves also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When I decided that I didn't want to pursue medicine any longer, I had to choose a new major, but I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I knew it was something in the sciences, but I didn't know what. I had prayed to God for some type of guidance. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself. And the verse delight means to be soft and pliable. So I was trying to be pliable, but I was young and stupid and didn't quite know what that meant. So I was frustrated, and I was truly seeking God's guidance. And then one of those things happened that to this day amazes me. I was registering for classes, and at that time we had to fill up those old Scranton forms with a number two pencil. You remember the old number two pencil deal. I needed a statistics course for my science curriculum, so I chose one and filled out the form and the course number and turned it in. When I got my printed list of classes, I saw that I had filled out the card wrong and selected the wrong statistics course, Fortran Computer Pro Programming for Statistics. I was not happy that in addition to statistics, I was also going to have to learn computer programming that was some mystical thing that nobody did. Because this is, we're talking 1980s people. I mean, nobody had a computer. But I shrugged it off and decided it was too much trouble to change the class. That's how lazy I was. I believe my mind had filled in the card for one course number, but the desires of my heart took control of the pencil and filled in another number. 
ironically, a mistake I made with a computer led me into the field of computer science. The very first time I wrote a computer program in my class, it was like a fire had been set inside me. I loved every second of it. I would sit in the computer lab for hours and work on my assignments and then do more things on my own. Over the next two years, I excelled in all of my computer science courses and loved every minute of it. I had the opportunity to partner with some of the greatest people in computer science, and I worked on a national security agency program for Ronald Reagan's Star Wars Missiles Project. And all the while, I'm wearing my cowboy hat and boots <laughs> and spending all hours of the night in the computer lab. So this is one messed up guy. I'm playing music. I've got my cowboy hat. I'm working for the NSA. I'm surprised. Does being young mean you can't be wise? Well, I walked into this conversation thinking one thing, and I walked out thinking another. From Job 32, Elihu speaking to Job, I am young and you are old, so I held back from telling you what I think. I thought those who are older should speak, for wisdom comes with age. But there is a spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them, that makes them intelligent. That's for all of us. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. So just because I'm old, I don't know justice, but I do have the Almighty within me. I had found something I wanted to do as a profession, but I still didn't like taking all the non-computer science classes. In this picture, I shot the calculus book I'd used for multiple courses with a 35 caliber deer rifle. <laughs> My heart and desires were slowly changing. I started playing Christian music and even went into a small studio in Athens and recorded a Christian song I'd written. That was the only song I recorded in the studio during all of those years. I completed my almost seven-year journey through college and sold my horse. The cowboy songs slowly faded away. When I started preparing this, I believed the discretions of my youth were something to be expected and that it was part of life that young people can't be wise. Then I ran across Job 32, and it changed my perspective. But there is a spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them, that makes them intelligent, and that's based not based on your age. The verse made me realize why the next phase of my life came into order. A girlfriend and a job. And all this is going somewhere, people. I know you're thinking, well, where's the money? I want to see a little dollar symbol up there somewhere. <laughs> well, there's not. Well, there's a woman up there, and she's, she's going to show up. Yes, and that's me with hair. <laughs> and that was real hair, people. That was, I mean, it really stood up like that. I think it was on a horse feed or something maybe at the time. <laughs> I decided I was going to work in Atlanta where my college friends were working, but my parents were building a house in Ottawa, Tennessee, and I wanted to help them finish it before I went to Atlanta because, you know, they'd done a little bit for me here and there along the way. I started attending a church in Ottawa with my parents and began playing music with the choir. There was a young lady in the choir named Susan. Her family lived in Cleveland, but drove all the way to Ottawa to go to church. There was an active youth group at the church, and Susan declares that she took it upon herself to make me feel welcome. I find that pretty funny, considering how shy and quiet she was, because she was shy and quiet, very shy and quiet. One Sunday after church, she asked me if I wanted to go get something to eat. Yes. She asked me out. I want that to be on the record here. Wait a minute, we got a problem. 
I was 23 years old, and she was 17. So I asked her dad if it was okay to take her to eat and drive her back to her home afterwards. He pointed his finger at me and said, I know where you live. Well, I, I really did just ask him to make him feel welcome to the youth group. But then he opens the car door for me, and I was used to young, immature guys who did not have such good manners. Um, and then we were driving away, and he said, I have a song I want to play for you. And so the old cassette tape there puts in, and he said, I wrote this and recorded it in a studio. Well, I was just blown away. I mean, because then that day and age, I mean, you never heard of anybody writing a song and recording them in a real studio unless they were famous. And it was a Christian song. And so we had our first dinner at the gondolier in Cleveland. <laughs> and I was once again impressed when he offered to bless our food without any hesitation. He drove me home where he proceeded to charm my brothers and my mother and had answers to my dad's complicated math questions that he liked to ask when trying to intimidate any of my guy friends. Um, but Chris has a minor in mathematics. <laughs> so that was another score. But a dead calculus book. So. And he didn't try to kiss me when he left. Believe it or not, guys, you can usually score more points that way. And for me, I think that night was destiny in the making. Interestingly enough, I had prayed the week before for the Lord to bring the right guy into my life. I had listed some qualities I would like to see, but never expected such a quick answer. So soon after that, we went on a youth group hayride. And at the moment, and at that moment, the hook was completely set. I had fallen for Susan. <laughs> we started dating, and I knew. I would not be going back to Atlanta to find a job. <laughs> Susan was beautiful in every way and made me want more from life than I ever had before. Her wholesomeness, innocence, and practicality were like a fresh breeze to my previously convoluted life. It was like the line, from as good as it gets, you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> she made me want to be excellent. So this is, when you're starting to piece this together, a financial journey, the excellence was actually a seed of me wanting to try to make this young lady happy. But you would say, why all the romantic stuff in the middle of finance? Because it's important to realize that all things in life are affected by finances. And finances are affected by all things in life. The Bible even speaks many times about how even our spirituality is affected by our finances. You know, get through the eye of a needle and so forth. One Sunday after eating lunch at Susan's grandmother's house, I was laying on the floor looking through the classifieds, and I saw an ad for a small company in Cleveland needing a computer programmer. I interviewed that week, and my first professional job started on July 2nd, 1985. Bankruptcy and a new car. A match made in heaven. <laughs> but not all is as good as it seems in this fairy tale. I was finding intelligence in some areas of my life, but life was eluding me in other areas. All of these things have to work together to be successful. All of these have to work together to be successful. When I left college, I carelessly, carelessly didn't take care of my student loan paperwork, and my loans went into default. 
And I had a Sears card that I had maxed out buying stereo equipment. Everybody buys stereo equipment at Sears, right? <laughs> Why did Sears even give me a credit card <laughs> when I was in college? <laughs> the credit collector started contacting my new employer and attempting to garnish my wages. It was embarrassing, and I was afraid I was going to lose my job. I went to an attorney and filed for a Chapter 13 bankruptcy to get the creditors off my back and avoid garnishment. At the time, I actually felt like it was the creditors' fault that I was having these problems. <laughs> I did. I would, they would send me in notes in the mail, and I'd be mad and go, Stop, you people. It's not my fault. <laughs> About a year later, I decided that I deserved a new car because I'd driven junk cars all my life, and I was now a professional, air quote professional. I got the new car fever. The, that is just awesome. I think new car, car fever is one of the craziest things there ever was. You want one, and you just want to get one no matter what happens. You'd sell your child for one. <laughs> I barely got the loan, and it had an extremely high interest rate because of my earlier bankruptcy. Marriage. Who can find a virtuous wife? Me. For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth. Sorry, this is Proverbs 19.14. But only the Lord can give an understanding wife. And I have an understanding wife, believe me. I asked my dad about marrying Susan and said, I didn't have any money. But he said, son, if you wait until you have enough money, you'll never get married. <laughs> I'm not sure if he said this because he thought marriage was expensive or because he thought that I would never come up with enough money. He also told me to marry a girl with good teeth because it cost a lot to get teeth fixed. <laughs> Susan had great teeth, so we were good to go. <laughs> Susan proceeded to put together a wedding in her usual practical and conservative way. Yeah, unfortunately, this was before Pinterest, though, so yeah, yeah, it so, was rough. Yeah. So. Expensive but worth every penny. It was March when we married, and we went to Aspen, Colorado on our honeymoon. I'd saved a long time for our honeymoon while paying for my bankruptcy and my new car, but we still didn't have much money to spend on the trip. We had huge desires to do things, but no money to do them. We drove out to a place at Snowmass called Kreblunik. It was a place where you wrapped up in blankets and took a dog sled ride out to a restaurant descri described as wild game and seafood dishes served in a rustic cabin with mountain views. Wow, who doesn't want that? We talked to a lady that had done it. She said in a rich-sounding voice, It's expensive, $150, but worth every penny. We stood there mesmerized. <laughs> and said, Someday we'll be able to afford to come back here and go on that dog sled ride. You know where this is going, right? Then we got in the car and drove off. Because we had to, we returned home to our fairy tale castle. After we had gotten engaged, I took on the task of finishing out the attic of my parents' house and turning it into an apartment. Every night, I'd come home and work on it. This is where we lived for two years. We paid my parents for utilities, but the rent was free. It was like a really cute dollhouse, but because it was in an attic, uh, many things were very low, and you would just kind of have to duck to go past them. And if you wanted to take a bath, you pretty much had to crawl into the bathtub. Yeah. 
Susan had like a 10 by 12 walk-in closet, but it was only about this high. <laughs> so her dresses could just barely fit. <laughs> I had a low salary job, a car payment, and bankruptcy payment. Susan was working on a, as a bank teller, but we didn't have much money, even with our combined incomes. Our debt was eating up all of our money. But it gets better. The sands of overspending. Our Delta Dream Vacation to St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. Wow, do you see stupidity here going on? <laughs> when we got married, Susan took my car, and I bought another new vehicle with another high-interest rate loan, a Ford Ranger pickup truck. I wanted more, and I deserved more. So I applied for a credit card, which is approved with a very high interest rate. Thank you, bankruptcy. <laughs> we went on our honeymoon in March, but I still had a week of vacation left in August of the same year. Okay, so we were in Aspen in March, and now it's the same year in August. I used my newly acquired credit card to book a Delta Dream vacation to St. Thomas that included airfare and hotel, but no food or ground transportation. We took the little bit of cash we had and jetted off to St. Thomas like movie stars. But when we got there, everything was horribly expensive. Our hotel was far away from town and restaurants, and the taxi rides alone were consuming our money as they charged per person. In a short time, we spent all of our cash we had, and we maxed out what balance remained on the credit card. And as we got very low on money, we had to go to an expensive convenience store and buy some cheese and crackers that were actually stale. And we had to put the cheese on the air conditioner in the hotel room to keep it cool. Because we had no money to None. buy any food and no way to get any money. And on our last day, we were so hungry that all we could talk about was what is the meal that we're going to get on the plane home. It's bad when you're looking forward to airline food. We left St. Thomas completely broke. And I mean, I'm talking not one dollar. And returned home to where in addition to the debt we had previously, we now had a maxed out high interest rate credit card. That experience was the turning point in our lives. We learned that debt was miserable and that spending more to have fun didn't help. And so things kind of start maybe going a little bit more uphill here. Our trip to the West. We learned that cheap can be fun. The year after our dream, dream vacation to St. Thomas, I was eligible for a two-week vacation. We had been saving for a vacation because we had no credit. And we had $800. So in August 1988, we loaded up in the back of my foreign ranger truck with one of the little camper shells and used our saved money for a 17-day trip across the United States. We froze. We burned up. <laughs> and I even locked the car keys in the truck twice in one day. <laughs> and I will tell you, it was actually probably the most challenging point of our marriage right there that second time I locked the keys in the truck. <laughs> but we loved it. It was one of the best trips we have ever had. And we learned that having a paid-for vacation was more fulfilling than having an expensive vacation that we could not afford with the dread of going home to more debt. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about my work experience. Being excellent when it doesn't appear to matter. Proverbs 22:29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. 
He will not stand before unknown men. Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Galatians 6.4, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Since I was 12 years old, I'd always worked hard, and I was a dedicated worker and strived to please my employers to get raises. To this day, I stand in total admiration of every person that works hard for a living, regardless of what they do. I have been there and done that. I don't regard a corporate executive with any higher esteem than a person with any other job because I believe everybody is a human being and everybody's out here just trying to make a living for their children, their families. My job as a programmer was a salaries job, which in principle requires working 40 hours a week, but I soon realized that to get raises, raises I had to work tirelessly, even through the weekends and sometimes I would exceed 80 hours a week. I was working 80 hours a week and getting paid for 40. I felt like I had to make myself, or I'm sorry. I felt like I had to make myself better and to stand out, but as time went on, the raises were minimal. The company just didn't have any excess money. I reached a point where I knew I either had to quit or I had to reconcile myself to working as hard as I was for no extra money. I chose the latter, and I adopted a motto that even though I wasn't getting more money, I was getting better. And I could lay my head down on the pillow at night and know I had done everything I could. I didn't think that people knew about or appreciated all the extra work I did, but I was wrong. I've since realized a few things in almost all situations. Integrity brings interest. When you always do the right thing, even when it hurts, people begin to notice you and trust you. It's essential to always be honest and transparent. If someone sees you cheat or steal, then that immediately puts a red flag on your integrity, which limits your opportunities. People want to work with people they can trust. Obedience leads to opportunity. When you work hard and appreciate your job, your employers appreciate you. At least the good employers do. There are bad employers out there. Being nice is free. It costs you nothing to be nice, and it goes a long way. See, this is one of the things Susan and I say all the time. You go through a register line or anything else, and you get somebody really grumpy, and it's just like, you know, it, being nice is free. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything to smile, to be happy with your coworkers. Opportunity starts knocking, but ever so slightly, as the people I worked with began to notice my work and trust me, they started providing me more opportunities. So I've worked, I've worked, I've worked, I've worked, I've worked, and somebody's finally noticing. So I had a guy that worked at the company, and he was wealthy, and he was doing a land deal. And I think he felt really, really sorry for me because I didn't make any money, and I worked all the time. So he came to me, and he offered me a chance to invest in some land. Well, we had saved a tiny bit of money. I think I had maybe $500. And he let me invest this money in this land deal. Well, about six months, I mean, six weeks later, he brings me back a check for three times the amount. He had sold that land. And this was somebody I trust. I wouldn't suggest just doing this to anybody that walks up to you on the street. Hey, give me $500. But, but I did trust this guy. Well, that was my first investment. And I, yeah, I really thought all investments should be that good. Hey, you know, here's 500. Give me back 1,500. But it, anyway, it was. It came about because he he liked what I did and he trusted me and he gave me an opportunity that I would not have gotten otherwise. 
Then I was promoted to a management position. These opportunities provided me with immense personal growth and greatly increased my confidence. So if you'll notice what's going on here is I'm still not making any money, but my personal growth is continuing, right? I'm getting better every day in what I do for a living. And my skills are what I have to offer people. Our first house, patience is finally starting to show benefits. Eight years had gone by since I started working. So this is like, oh, eight years went by. Yes, we're living with bankruptcy and car payments and all this other stuff. It sounds like eight years went by. Yeah, we're making those payments every month. As I was slowly increasing my income at a small company job, we were paying down the debt we had acquired and able to make small improvements in our lives, but we were cautious. We finally moved out of my parents' attic and rented three different places between 89 and 93. Each was slightly bigger and slightly more expensive than the previous, but we stayed well within our means. And I had decided I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, so we figured out how to live on one income. We really focused on saving money with a goal of having enough for a 20% down payment on a house, which would mean we wouldn't have to pay the additional cost of mortgage insurance, PMI, and would have a smaller house payment. Our daughter Victoria was born in March of 93, and we closed on our first house and moved in later the same month. Nothing like moving when you have a newborn baby. About this time, we had a financial teaching going on. It was a series of financial teachings with pastor going on at the church that started us thinking more about financial planning and direction. This is 1993 when this was going on. I believe, I believe that's accurate. Maybe a little later. Okay. You, you're the understanding wife. Yes, so. I am. <laughs> yeah, and I had hair in that picture. Financial recovery starts with our thought process. From the dictionary, recovery, a return to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. Second definition, the action or process of regaining possession or control of something stolen or lost. We want to think of financial recovery as the second definition, when it's actually more about the first. The stock market proves this with the perception of value. If you watch the stock market at all, you'll see that every day it goes wildly up or wildly down. And the reason for that is because of people's mentality about the stock. The company is not worth any more than it was the day before or any less than it was the day before. People's minds just change about what they think something is worth. So finances are driven by our mentality. A penny saved is a penny earned. This is Susan Sweet's 16 picture that was used for an actual newspaper coupon. Yes, the coupon queen over here started off as a coupon. <laughs> it's very appropriate. Um, after one of pastor's teachings on finances, I was driving down Mouse Creek Road, and I was just lamenting to the Lord and, and couldn't understand how it seemed that everyone that was around us at the time seemed to have nicer things than us. They had nicer homes, nicer cars, nicer furniture, boats, clothes, etc. What were we doing wrong? I began to pray and think about what I could do as a stay-at-home mom to increase our household income. And I heard this quote come to me clearly, and it was kind of just fast in my head. A penny saved is a penny earned. And I remember thinking, that, that was weird. 
Um, but I felt like it was the Lord speaking to me because I didn't even know what I was saying. Um, and I was like, okay, Lord, I think that was Benjamin Franklin, you know, but it's just one of those quotes that we say and we don't really think about what it means. Um, and so I kept repeating it slowly to myself. I even remember where I was on Mouse Creek Road when that came to me. So what does it mean? If I save a penny, I've earned a penny just like a real job. So there were not a lot of opportunities to earn money from home like there are now, so I began to pursue this financial mentality that if I saved a penny, then I was earning a penny for our household. Now this does not mean you can go buy a big screen TV on sale that you can't afford and make this principle work for you. I did this by looking for ways to cut our everyday expense cost and find things cheaper and yes, sometimes go without because you really don't have to have it. And as I was doing it, I was trying to think I'm not deprived, but that I was earning money and that money is flowing into my household as a result of my decisions. And I still have that mentality today. So to entertain you, this outfit, this ensemble that I'm wearing, jewelry and shoes included, costs less than $20. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And, and that's, you know, that's one of my more, that's one of my more expensive outfits. Um, so even though now I don't necessarily have to do that, why would I not want to? Why would I want to toss money around carelessly or let it slip through my fingers? And Chris, he also looks for ways to reduce the large-scale items and bills. And so a teaching tip here is that we've learned that tracking every penny is very important. Um, I know if some of you know and listen to Dave Ramsey, that's a very important key thing. All those pennies add up. Don't let them get away from you. I believe that when we make wise financial choices, God honors it. And later we kind of found out that a lot of the people we were around were more focused, uh, we, we were more focused on reducing our debt than a lot of the people around us. Um, we learned that we can have things, but we can't have everything, especially all at one time. It's all about choice. Some things I had to get right in my mind. We typically spend 40 hours a week working but spend little time figuring out what to do with our money. I had to start learning how to think about my money. I had to learn how to think. Susan was ahead of me on this one. She was doing her penny save, penny earn. I'm still kind of walking around in a daze. But then I started realizing I'm working this hard for money. I need to figure out what to do with it, how to save it better, how to invest it better, how to make it go further. Learning to save money is difficult, and understanding why we're saving money is even more difficult. We usually start saving because we want to buy something, right? That's almost always the reason we start saving. Not because we see it as a stepping stone to other levels. For us, saving was a stepping stone. It was the stepping stone every step of the way for us. So there's a few things here that are critical. Cash flow is what we earn minus what we burn. So it's how much you make in a month minus what you spend in a month. And if you're spending more than you're earning, I guarantee you that's not going to go to a good place. So you want to have positive cash flow. And that means to have positive cash flow, 
you either increase your income potential, which is personal growth, which remember I was talking about a second ago. That's what I had had to do all those years was trying to make myself better so I had more income potential. Or you have to cut your expenses. That's it. There's no other choices to how you increase cash flow. Your financial net worth is what you have minus what you owe. So if someone is a millionaire, that means that whatever they have minus whatever they owe is a million dollars or more. If we have positive cash flow, that net worth increases. So to be a millionaire, you have to go, you have to find positive cash flow. And that comes by saving and are increasing your income. It took us many years to get out from under the debt that we had acquired in such a short period of time. We acquired a lot of debt in probably a two-year period, and it probably took us 15 years to get out from under it. Personal growth is important. I once was at a gathering and heard a lady in her 40s say she was going to start working on getting her doctorate. Some people in the room made fun of her and said, you're going to be 50 when you get your doctorate. And she looked at them and calmly replied, she said, I hope to be 50 anyway. I started watching cash flow and net worth very closely. For us, there was no silver bullet. It was years upon years and layers upon layers of small gains that progressively turned into bigger gains. We plan, God directs. Proverbs 16:9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. From a commentary, there's a man proposes and God disposes. Man meditates and prepares his plans with the utmost solicitude, but it rests with God whether he shall carry them to completion or not, and whether, if they are to be accomplished, they be done with ease or with painful labor. So this, I've always loved this verse because I, I just feel like it's every day for me. I'm always making plans and always thinking about things, but I ultimately know that God's going to direct those steps. It, it doesn't matter what I plan, but I plan nonetheless because I want to be in a place where God can direct my steps. Now, what's interesting, this is Proverbs 16.9. What's interesting is look at some verses that come before this in Proverbs. So remember, the Lord is directing our steps. God requires that we trust and honor him. Proverbs 3.5-10. So this is a few chapters back in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths, right? So in before, we're saying God will direct our paths. We make our plans, and God directs our paths, our steps. And here we say, here's the instructions for how to get him to direct our steps. We acknowledge him. We're not wise in our own eyes. We fear the Lord, and we depart from evil. It's health to our flesh and strength to our bones. And honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. To me, this is the basis for tithing right here. This is your first fruits. And this, to me, directly connects between tithing and the Lord directing my path. We have always tithed, always tithed 10% of gross since the day we were married. And that was quite a challenge considering the debt load we have for many years. It seems that it would be easier to tithe 10% as you get wealthier. But it's actually the opposite. If you tithe on $100, then it's $10. If you tithe on $1,000, then it's $100. But if you tithe on $10,000, then it's $1,000. 
and $1,000 buys the same thing for a wealthy person as it does for a person that's not wealthy. So the mind says, I could save this and buy a boat, right? If you're, if you're tithing $10, you don't think I'm going to buy a boat with $10, but when you're tithing $1,000, you do start thinking you can buy a boat, and that actually makes it more difficult. So that's why I think it's, it's difficult for the Lord to trust people with money sometimes if they don't understand this principle they, they people say, as soon as I have money, I'll be able to tithe. I, I had a friend at work. He said, if I won the lottery, I could be frugal. I told him, I said, you can be frugal now. <laughs> you don't have to win the lottery to be frugal. <laughs> but tithing opens a door to blessing and to God's direction. So true. Um, years ago, Pastor Hank asked us as a church to start bringing our offering separately like we do now. Um, So we began to do that and increase it little by little. And after a few years, we began to see as we increased our offering, our net worth was also increasing. So God's principles do work. Time for a big change. Ten years have gone by since I started my job, and I was working more hours and beginning to be physically sick from the pressure of trying to make uh, make it at a small company survive. My job had become miserable. I was spending more time running business than working with computers, which is what I love. And I didn't realize how much I was growing as a professional or how much that was preparing me for greater things. The small company I worked for was sold to another company, and I was asked to be a leader in that organization. I wasn't sure I wanted to do what well, that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I don't know if Pastor remembers, but we went to Cracker Barrel. I went, I went with Cracker Barrel and met with Pastor. And I don't recall exactly what he said, but I know part of it was just pray for direction. I'm sure he was thinking, oh, gee, what's this guy doing now? That's <laughs> My prayer has always been a very simplistic prayer. Lord, please open all the right doors and close all the wrong doors because I'm too stupid to know the difference. It was a big, scary decision, but after much prayer, it became clear at that time that my future direction was to pursue my own business with my business partner, Tim, who was also a strong Christian, and it prayed and believed we were doing the right thing. Susan and I had been diligently paying on our house and saving. These savings and our smaller house payment provided us with a financial buffer for the move to consulting. If we had not saved that money and we had not had a smaller house payment, I would not have been able to make that move, and I would have stayed in the job that was making me physically sick. We still lived in Cleveland, and Victoria was three years old, so we would be home on the weekends, and then we'd go to church on Sunday morning, and Sunday night, people. Um, And then we would drive to our apartment in Atlanta and get there at about midnight. However, we did not want this decision to affect our spiritual life, church attendance, and the ministry opportunities the Lord had given us. So it was challenging running two households, having a small child to move back and forth, but Chris continued to play praise and worship two times a week, and I helped plan and be involved in every event, and we had much more events then because hey we're young people we we're just we're just crazy Um, and choreographed many dances from my location in Atlanta so be careful when the Lord brings you financial opportunities Um, don't let that um, your spiritual life and your church life fall by the wayside Um, so we lived like that until Victoria started school and as I look back I don't know how we did it I mean it just it makes me nauseous to think about it 
Um, but as Pastor Rhonda always says, he gives you grace for that moment of time to be able to do things you wouldn't normally be able to do or other people be able to understand how you are able to do that. And it was his grace that carried us through. Oh, the companies I've seen. So I went from being a small or a big guy. I was a VP of development in a tiny company in Cleveland, Tennessee, to working for the largest companies in the world. And that happened overnight. This is like one of those rags to riches stories, right? You know, it's like, wow. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing. But what amazed me the most was I got to work and I thought, I am not going to know what to do with these people. I have no clue what's going on in a large corporation. But once in the large corporate world, I realized instantly how much my hard work background, my time at a military college, and my experience with a small company had prepared me for this part of the journey. In a matter of a few years, I was consulting with many of the largest companies in the world. My personal growth skyrocketed. With more opportunities came more experience, and with more experience came more opportunities. God gave me great ideas. I woke up in the morning or even in the middle of the night sometimes and would have the answer to how to, how to solve very complex problems at the companies where I was working. That, that includes I was at Delta Airlines when we did all the kiosk, we did all the gate display stuff. Uh, all, all of Delta Technologies' uh, revolutions were happening when I was there at Delta. God is still providing me with these ideas daily. I'm invited to speak at conferences every year. I never do. And for the last couple of years, I've been invited to go to IBM's lab in Raleigh because they want to learn more about the things that I've come up with. And I'm actually going there week after next. I'm going to Raleigh. But this verse is for everyone. But there is a spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them, that makes them intelligent. This is not reserved for me. This is for all of us. Investing and protecting. In 25 years, the one penny Susan saved, if invested, would be worth five pennies. If she saved us $1,200 each year, $100 a month, during that time, then it would be worth over $87,000 today. But self-improvement and savings come first. I don't know, if, am I bragging on that enough? Self-improvement and savings? That's what sets us up for new opportunities and creates that buffer that prevents negative financial events from becoming a financial disaster. As you acquire a little bit of wealth, your mentality starts changing from how do I make money to how do I protect the money I've worked so hard for. We reached a point in our financial life where we were able to invest. I began researching and take, talking to many people about it, but it took me many years to get even the slightest grasp on it. Investing is not the lottery. I really didn't see the true value of investing until after many years of watching the investment grow. It takes years of patience. Investing also includes investing your time. Expend energy on worthwhile efforts, not just every little thing that comes by. I've learned to look and listen for opportunities, even those that don't involve cash, like bartering, because bartering typically doesn't involve tax. Everything we do financially has tax consequences that need to be carefully evaluated. We've learned to pay for insurance that protects us from catastrophe, not from the cost of buying a, for a pair of glasses. And most of all, we are able to invest in the kingdom of God. So we save, we invest, we protect on the receiving end of a bankruptcy. Sometimes the unexpected happens. And this is from Dr. Seuss. So oh, the places you'll go, you can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. 
I love it when Pastor reads, oh, the places you'll go. As he reads it, I can play out my own life story. I know the irony of being on the receiving end of a bankruptcy. In March of 2001, we went to Florida on a beach vacation. I spent the entire vacation working. Turned out I would never get paid for it and a lot of other work. In April, I didn't receive payment time for one of my invoices, and I learned that the company had gone into bankruptcy. The checks I had deposited from them had, were pulled back from the bank. I learned that in bankruptcy, they can pull the checks back out of the bank within a two-week period. And when all was said and done, we had lost $46,774.21. While this loss was a huge loss for us, it was huge. Our savings with a buffer and put us in a financial position that at least it wasn't devastating. Saving for the unexpected is important. If you don't like to spend money that was so hard to earn, but keep it for your financial disasters. Never hurts to ask. I'm, I'm hurrying here. I'm hurrying. We were doing much better financially than we had ever done before, but we always remembered the lessons we had learned about overspending. We wanted a new house, and we had set our goal of buying one for 130000 but we just couldn't find anything we loved at that price. The home searching went on for weeks. The real estate agent took us to a house we loved, but it was over our budget. I don't know if you can see that there's an X on it. That's because it was too expensive. So it was marked off the list. And then there's lots of little scribbles. Those were like some thoughts that we had about offers that we could make. Um, but we used to, it was vacant, so we'd drive by every now and then and just stare into the windows. I remember that my mother taught me that it never hurts to ask. So I finally told Susan, we'll just make a low offer and see what happens. I was slightly embarrassed to make the offer, and the real estate agent said she didn't even want to take it to them. But they took it. And, and then I was able to write answered prayer on the picture and save it. Susan and I ask for things all the time. It's, a, it's about pride, right? Sometimes you just got to suck up that pride. Susan and I ask for things all the time. We ask for flat upgrades, better hotel rooms. We ask for discounts on everything. We'll walk up and ask for, any, for anything. And Susan will even tell people, wow, oh, what nice earrings you have. I've heard her say that before. <laughs> and remember Job 32.8, but there is a spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them that makes them intelligent. Susan and I were getting even more ideas about how to save money and optimize the money we had. A few years later, I woke up one morning with an idea for refinancing that house while paying for it with part of the money we had saved, and that move allowed us to pay off our 15-year mortgage six years early. And I, I believe that idea, you just woke up with an idea from the Lord. Yeah, I, I wake up all the time and I tell Susan, hey, I got an idea. One of my best investments. Don't underestimate the 1998 Saturn. It's all about choice. I fly to Illinois every week, and I've been going up there for 12 years. I bought this car for $2,000 12 years ago, and it saved me from having to rent a car every week I go up there. I totaled it up for this to see. That is a $67,000 Saturn you're looking at. <laughs> we now affectionately call it Hammy, short for ham can. Yep, yep, and when he first bought it, he wouldn't even let me ride in it because he said it was too dirty for me. Real quick story about that car. I've had it for 12 years. I work for this consulting company out of Chicago, and they have a Christmas party every year. And all these consultants come, and they're driving their BMWs and their Mercedes, and they'll pull in BMW, BMW, Mercedes, Mercedes, Audi, Audi, Audi. And every year, I pull up in my 1998 Saturn. 
and I park it in between the Mercedes and the Audis, and they all make fun of me, but I laugh my way to the bank. Yes. <laughs> the power of choice. And years later, we go to Aspen on a ski trip, and we go back to that dog set sled place, and we look at it and say, well, we can afford it, but it's really not worth it compared to the other things we can do with the money. When we were first married, Susan said that someday she wanted a Mercedes. When we bought her last car in 2010, I told her, well, here's your chance to have a Mercedes. We bought the Ford Edge that she's driving today. And those of you who know me well know that I need a truck and a trailer, yeah. not a Mercedes, and those are the impractical thoughts of the young, maybe some other day. Travel, 101 countries and counting. As a result of our power of choice, instead of spending money on nice cars and boats and driving a 1998 Saturn, Susan and I decided we wanted to travel the world. We love to travel, and we love the people, the sounds, the food, the smells, the exhilaration of the fear of going somewhere slightly dangerous or remote. I have personally planned every one of these trips, with the exception of the Delta Dream vacation. <laughs> I spend months planning trips and looking for deals and canceling and rebucking when I find cheaper options. Much of our travel has been paid for with miles and points I collect for my business travel. So this is the summary. I think our journeys around the world are symbolic of our financial journey. It's taken a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work, a lot of planning, a lot of time, many years, and a lot of delays and misconnections. But it's all been worth it. Thank you. to um, close out if we hadn't. We were podcasting that. We just didn't tell Susan. <laughs> um, but this could be you. I just feel that right now. Amen. There's no one in this room that this could not apply to. And this could be you have a thousand reasons why it couldn't, but it could. We're going to do a few minutes of questions and answers. So if you have a question you want to ask, raise your hand, and we'll let Chris do that. And we'll keep our questions abbreviated and then move on to the next one. So first, uh, Richard, and then David. Yes, sir. You know, I used to try to do my own investment research, and I found out it took so much energy and that there are so many people out there. So the one thing I learned about investing is anytime I see something that's going up, it's too late. Investing is about finding something that's not gone where it's going to go yet. Uh, so I actually use a financial advisor is the short answer to that. I use a professional to tell me. Oh, just, yeah, wait, I mean, you know, yes, I know people, you love your coffee, but instead of Starbucks, you could make it at home, or you could go to the gas station and get something. I mean, there's just all kinds of different ways that I could go on about that forever, you know, just, um, yes, 
don't stop at convenience stores and go in and get stuff. That's overpriced water, overpriced food. You know, plan ahead. A lot of times you spend more money because you don't plan ahead. Um, you know, so you need to plan ahead. Take your snacks with you. Take your own water. Refill your own bottle. Um, you can go to shopping at yard sales like I do. If you don't want to do that, just watch for sales. You know, just just be frugal-minded, you know, and and don't get overly zealous when it comes to just launching out there and buying too many things that you can't afford. Um, just, just, I don't know, I'm trying to think. What's some of my other things that I do? I'm drawing a blank. I don't know. I, I think one of the best things since we've acquired a, a little bit of, of money is that we have the ability to look at something and say, I can have it. True, true. But I don't have to. I'm True. empowered. Yeah, you can, you right? Can, I am empowered. Yeah, you can, you can, you can be empowered by that. Been there. Yes, that's yeah, that's exactly don't right. Don't give up. Don't give up. Yep. Just buckle down. Just fight against it and do. Just save, save, and hey, and pay, pay. Dave Ramsey has a comment where he tells people where they always say, "Did you eat beans? I ate beans." That in essence means, you know, maybe you put, you don't go out to eat. Maybe you don't go to a movie maybe you don't you know work on that debt you know so that you can be free from that pressure the burden that it uh, it causes a lot of worry and anxiety yes sir Well, uh, the, the biggest thing in investing is the younger you start, the less risk you have to take. So if you can invest when you're young, uh, then you can invest moderately and not have to take high risk. As you get start getting older, if you're going to make it grow enough to retire, you have to do a lot higher risk investments. And then that means you have more potential to lose it, right? Uh, so, so that's one thing, and then you balance out. But sometimes it's just best just to run the numbers and see where you want to be and when you want to retire and, and just see how far off you really are. And I know we didn't start saving till late. I mean, I felt, I felt really bad that I was probably, I was 35, 40, I think, before I really got it, before I really said, holy cow, I got to save. And, and I will say we work, we've worked very hard. I actually, we save, we save. I'll, I'll just say the number. We save 25% of our income every year, no matter what. No matter what. And 10% for tithe and then offering. So we learn how to get by on what we get by on. Yeah, so it just sometimes it's, a, sometimes it's a lot of sacrifice. It just really is what it is. Absolutely. I, I feel trusted because um, I, I believe that I have, uh, I believe that we have, have proven that we are here to support God's kingdom, not only in our finances, but in our time. Uh, my time is extremely hard to come by. 
and uh, it, and uh, I'm on call all the time, uh, and it's hard for me to be here. It's hard for me to do these things, and uh, Susan's time is is taken up with all kinds of things, and but God trusts us because you know we're going to work and we're going to hammer away at it until the day we can't hammer away at it anymore. You know. Absolutely. That I remember this is one of my more simple things. I, I needed a lot of money for my sister's wedding that I wanted to put on for what I needed was $10,000. And I sat right over there in my chair and I said, Lord, I, I really need you for, for a lot of things that I've done for other people, all these events. I need you to come through for me. Well, the next day, one man called another man that owned a rental shop here in town, and he said, just let them have whatever they want. And it was $10,000 worth of stuff that we got for free. Yeah, I think when we paid off our house, that was definitely a divine... Uh, a divine moment because I just woke up in the morning and it literally, uh, I mean, one idea literally saved us $30,000 instantly, just instantly, just by a matter of moving one thing from one place to another that I'd never thought of before and, and had not been thinking about. Uh, it wasn't like I was sitting around thinking about it. It just came to me. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and I think uh, you know a good a good point on that is everybody chases credit score, and remember what credit score is for. Credit score is for getting credit. <laughs> we we don't need credit. <laughs> so if you're chasing a credit score, it's because you're wanting to get credit, and if you're getting credit, that means you're paying interest. And if you're paying interest, that that is one thing I will tell you. I, Susan can tell you, if I have to pay $1 in interest for anything, if I make a late payment on a, a credit card instead of paying it off, I forget it, it just upsets me so much because it's just like money I threw down a hole. All right. Thank you, guys, very much. I didn't, I didn't even cry. I didn't cry. Truly awesome, amen? I mean, just seriously, if you could pay to, um, thank you, thank you, sir. Um, what you would have to pay to receive something like this, I don't think you have any understanding about, or none of us do, the scriptures and the information, but it gives hope to all of us that this can happen for you. And I do remember when they realized that everyone around them had so much um, and what they didn't know is they found out later everyone around them were upping 10 and 15 credit cards and losing their houses. And now to watch them. He is minimizing how blessed they are and minimizing the influence that Chris Vernon has on, on the United States and technology would blow your mind. Um, that is all the things. So we can dream. You're never too old to dream. Like he said about the woman, well, I'll be 50. I'd just soon be 50 with a Ph.D., 
and um, it's never too late. So um, I think it's just great. I want to give the, the Vernons another hand. So awesome.